Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about ways to view the people with whom you disagree Mm -hmm. and how to find your place in the debate. The debate. Capital T, capital D. Capital T, capital D. We're not talking about a specific topic, but the fact that the whole world's debating about everything. Sure. So how to view people with whom you disagree and how to find your way in the debate. Yeah. I think it's going to be really good. We, and we got four points. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got, I think we might have six. Six. But <laughs> they're just little thoughts that we, that, have we that, that have been, you know, light bulbs coming on for us that are changing the way we view this. We think, yeah. we think that... This will help each of us get to the deeper, more important matters of life, thereby closing the gap between people who disagree. Yeah. I think it's putting us on some common ground where we can actually make progress together. I'm excited about this. It's it's fun when a lot of the sometimes I'm very scatterbrained, so I go but I go through seasons of, of more focused thinking and a lot of my ahas are related or at least contribute to the same kind of thought. And it's it's always a fun time. This is this is kind of part of that. Yeah, I think we're having like a uh, this is a aha smokers board, <laughs> an aha Mul- buffet. Yes, multiple ahas we've been having that are truly helping us view people differently with whom we disagree and mm-hmm. help us find our way in a world of debate. Awesome. All right, John. Before that, it is story time. I guess you could tell a joke, uh, but you're up. Uh, no joke yet again. I keep wanting to look one like jokes up, but I feel like that is weak. That's cheating. That's cheating. Yeah, 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 that's cheating. It'd be like looking like I'm not going to look up a story and you know, so I can't. And then tell it either. like it's your own, right? Well, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't lie about it. But I'd be like, there was once a, you know, <laughs> something like that. Um, but no. So I'll tell a story. We, uh, me and my wife just moved, and before we moved. You know, our apartment's got boxes stacked up for a couple of weeks, and it's, it's uh, you know, a weird time to be there. And this is a Sunday night, and we're watching a uh, food show, you know, a show where some hip young people go to nice restaurants across the globe, and, and they talk about them. And uh, this one, they end up in Seattle for oh. a whole episode, a whole, uh, an episode of, uh, of Salmon. Oh, so they're trying salmon at a variety of places in Seattle. Yes. Yep. Okay. And uh, so one of these is a uh, place called Emerald City Fish and Chips, mm. and they have salmon chowder and salmon and chips. So it's like uh, breaded fried salmon with uh, french fries and tartar sauce. And these guys are saying, you know, that they're from Louisiana and they do uh, some kind of like Cajun, Cajun style. style. Yeah, yeah, like a Cajun style tartar sauce, even like a spicy tartar sauce. How y'all are? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sound like that, but a spicier breading for the fish. And so me and Lindsay love seafood. And so we're thinking, what if we, this is like 7 p.m. on a Sunday. We're thinking, what if we just went and got this fish and chips, the that, salmon and chips? That late on a Sunday? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't leave the house till like 7? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we look, we quick Google it. They're open till 9. 
So that's we, a good call because I would have bet money they weren't going to be open when you got there. Well, I called them too because with COVID, you never know with you know if the that's online's going to be accurate. Yeah. So I called them and they were open till nine. And so you said, keep that grease hot. We're on our way. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they needed us to tell them. They were even busy when we got there. Wow. And so, yeah, we, we show up a uh, beautiful sunset, the whole drive and uh, not some traffic in Tacoma, even at that way, which is because, you know, always. And uh, the food was really good. The chowder was actually the best part of it, which was kind of funny. I didn't know. I thought the I thought the salmon and chips was going to be the star. But that's that salmon chowder was nuts, and the salmon tartar sauce was, or the the uh, the Creole kind of tartar sauce, the Cajun tartar sauce, yeah, uh, was delicious, and it was good. And I, uh, it's in a the impolite way to put it is a sketchier part of Seattle. And dinner for two, how how much did it set you back? Uh, it was twenty bucks. That's it. Well, yeah, we split. We split the one order of of salmon and chips, and then we split a, a thing of clam chowder. Just because it wasn't, we had already had a dinner. Did it was you drink water? Like a, uh, I don't think we got a drink. I think we brought water bottles. Wow! And then we did. Just I was just wanting to make make it clear that people cannot expect. To oh, sure. there for Twenty bucks. Right. Right. Yes, that's a good a good uh, clarification. And then on the way back, we I was kind of hoping while we were in the city that there was going to be a cool like twenty four hours uh, cafe, like a, like a place to get coffee. Because I when I worked at a coffee shop. I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to have the graveyard shift at a 24-hour coffee shop? And, like, you have the same, like, you would three be there regulars. all by yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't get a lot of business. That's why they don't <laughs> exist. But I was imagining, like, uh, if this were some kind of movie or if it was romanticized, you'd have, like, people who, uh, on their way to, like, the night shift, like, in construction or something like that, you'd have people who are insomniacs who are writing novels or something like that. Obviously, it's not what it would be like in real life. But they didn't have any of those in Seattle either, which I was surprised with. I thought Seattle, maybe they could get away with it. So uh, instead, we went to a coffee stand, which is open 24 hours. Mm. Uh, Bigfoot Java, I think. Oh, yeah. And uh, and got coffee and went home. That's awesome. It was a good time. You know, uh, one another little short story here. Uh, on the day that we're recording this, mm-hmm. we happened to go across the street from my house to my neighbor's house. Yeah. Where they had a fish fry today. And so, uh, you know, everybody who knows me knows I don't eat fish, <laughs> but they had, he was making faces the whole time I was talking about the salmon. They had a, Our listeners uh, see. <laughs> they had fried cod and tater tots. And they also had ribs. She had a name for those ribs. I think he just teriyaki ribs. She had a different name. But okay. Anyway, they were teriyaki ribs and some white rice and then also some fried rice and then also some chow mein. Also some chowder. You tried the chowder. I did not try the chowder this time. Oh, okay. But those ribs uh, were... I'm telling you what, man. Wow. And then they had peach cobbler, berry cobbler, a whole table of desserts. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I The see, weather was perfect. We were yep. sitting outside in their backyard, meticulously groomed backyard, lots of friendly people. It was a great night. When I hear my neighbors got a fish fry, <laughs> and then, I, <laughs> you know, I have some idea. I have some images in my head. Yeah. And we get over there, and this thing was professional. This yeah. was a lot of food, a lot of good food. And I asked what the occasion was, and I had to kind of think about it. Like, hmm, well, I guess his birthday was recent. You know, well, and they had bought this fish, this cod, okay. last year for their – they do an annual fish fry. Okay, gotcha. And uh, last year, because of COVID or something, they couldn't, they didn't have it. So they so this is the annual fish fry. I didn't know it was a regular event. That makes yeah. more sense as to what the, what yeah. the occasion was. But it's always around his birthday. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So let's dive in, John. Shall we? Yeah. So this is, again, this is uh, a, a smattering of thoughts around um, division of opinion and uh, some ways to, I would say, um, uh, regain perspective on a lot of this. Yeah. So um, the way I would set this up is we have disagreements about everything. And um, I would say it's possible there might not be another person who agrees with you about every important thing being talked about right now. You might be hard pressed to find a universal agreeer. So, for example, there's Biden Trump. Mm -hmm. There's woke critical race theory. There's uh, vaccinations, mandated vaccinations mask mandates there's the afghan crisis and how it's being handled mm-hmm. uh what am i leaving out there just seems to be no shortage uh there was i mean it feels now it feels like a long time ago but the uh blm uh protests yeah, yeah. and george floyd and yep. yeah and we back the blue or no police systems are inherently corrupt uh-huh. uh there's just a pile a pile and the pile just keeps getting bigger um Seated classrooms, should kids wear masks, how sh- how old should kids be to get vaccinated? Just a number of uh, opportunities for conflict. Sure. And um, what you and I, please correct me if I don't speak for you accurately, John. I think sure. what we're <laughs> realizing is those are all symptomatic of some deeper issues that we should be talking about. Because we can find some commonality, some common ground in these deeper issues that then might us might help us not decide those surface issues, but navigate them better. Yeah, it's it's funny because, again, I think we find that you're a lot more practical than I am. So my ahas in these regions <laughs> were not um, functional. Tools, we're not functional. They were well, they're functional to the regard of of inner peace and and of easier ways to love your your fellow man not necessarily as far as navigating the actual issues themselves i would say they were almost um uh transcendental that you that you philosophical you transcend those problems those those problems are very small but they don't go away no but i mean i'm not the president I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think so. So for me, these are are better ways for you to lower walls between you and people who uh, who God has put you uh, in their spheres to show Jesus to. Yeah. You know, so that's what this is about for me. It's not even it's not about the issues. It's about uh, putting yourself in perspective of those issues to see how small they are. Okay, well, let's get started just to give a little sampling of this as we get going, because I really would enjoy playing around in the transcendent. And then I will see if I can find practical ways that this helps me navigate real worlds. Sure. And I'll, All right, I'll so, applaud you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, John. Go first with, with one that you that's at the top of your head of these uh, things we've discussed. Yeah. So uh, a lot of ideas. This is one, again, where it's, it's about how you view people. So a huge aha for me before we actually started this podcast. This was now a long time ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, you had said, I think uh, from the stage, you had said uh, uh, symptoms of judging that you don't know if, that you're judging but for, for people. You're judging people and you don't know that you're doing it. These are things that if you think these of people, you're probably judging them. And one of them was assuming. If you're assuming a lot of a person's uh, worldviews, motives. motives, motives was a big one. Yeah. Um, 
then you're probably judging them. And I think that to me is solid gold. That changed how my own personal because um, you started realizing how much of that you were doing. How, yeah, exactly how much I was the the huge extent that I was assuming of people, how they felt or how they processed, and uh, and really you could say because judging is just a part of dehumanization or vice versa. So I would say you are to some degree dehumanizing someone if you are assuming that much of their. You know, you're thinking of them more like a cartoon character, like a twirling, twirling mustache villain. So <laughs> my first aha in this conversation was when you're thinking of people in power uh, or or big yeah. organizations, a lot of we refer to them a lot. Capital T them. Well, yeah. they yeah. they do this. And specifically with power, uh, I think the kind of catchy way to put it is not to assume malevolence of those people, not to assume that they're evil. Mm hmm. Uh, when it's more likely ignorance or yeah. uh, that they, they don't know better. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is really interesting because I had not thought of this part of this conversation until you just said this. We think of our enemy or this person we're judging mm-hmm. as a uh, cardboard thick monolithic thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they don't have texture. They don't have nuance. Um so one of the big ahas for me in this kind of thing is that people are, people are almost always more than one thing. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time. Mm-hmm. But when we're judging someone, we shove them into only one thing. Yeah. And so this idea, do not, do not ascribe malice to someone when ignorance will suffice is a, is a great way to, to summarize this approach is, because uh, our first impulse is to label them as bad. Right. That person is bad. That person is ev- evil. That person is uh, out to destroy the world. Right. <laughs> a, a good example lately, uh, I've seen a lot of um, things written about specifically, you know, the sex ed thing that in Washington State that happened yeah. last year and programs a lot like this all across the country. Mm-hmm. And the more radical way to look at this is, uh, the way they would word it is the left is grooming our children to be, you know, for nefarious purposes, to be either pedophiles or to challenge uh, traditional godly. Did you mean grooming? Grooming. Yeah. What did I say? You said grooming. I did not say grooming. I think you said grooming. You can go back and listen to it. I will. Uh, But I meant to say grooming. (laughs) Okay. But uh, so, so yeah, so the, so the, what we ascribe to them is they're perverts exactly. who want a perverted world. Exactly. And they want to, they want a world where to, to raise the next generation so that we can do whatever we want. They yearn for <laughs> mass perversion. <laughs> exactly. And I say that comically, but that's how, that's how a lot of people right. are seeing this. And so. that's assuming malevolence. Yes. When really uh, the vast majority of these people think they're doing the right thing. For example, this question, I'm a teacher, um, a third grade girl has changed her behaviors in my classroom dramatically. Mm-hmm. She used to be well-kept. Now she's not well-kept. Disheveled. Yep. She used to be focused. Now I can't get her to focus. Used to be straight A's. Now she doesn't turn in things. And as I query what's going on, I have some concerns about what's happening to her and um, find out then that her parents are addicts 
And so this is, this goes to, because uh, a lot of the people who are advocating for some of this curriculum Mm -hmm. is we need to help kids who are in a scenario where they're not getting help. And because the rest of us go, Hey, it's, it's the parent's job, right? It's the parent's job to teach our children about things like, um, molestations and abuse and proper sexual ethics, et cetera. But we all know parents aren't doing that job. Right. And so the non-malevolent approach to this is we're trying to fill a gap to help children flourish. Yeah. And so in this conversation about um, viewing those other than you, I think this is just understanding the humanity of the people who believe different. So uh, knowing that if you are pro-Trump, and somebody else is pro Biden, believing that their guy Biden, yeah, is not evil. He's not Satan. He's not Satan <laughs> exactly. And he doesn't get up every morning trying to think of six new ways to destroy America. Exactly. Uh, but in fact, he's trying to create the America that he has in mind that, that he thinks would be a better, better, a better nation, right? In his opinion, yes. And so, and so, uh, if you if you believe that that is ignorance, then that's that's a fine. Yeah, we can work with that, right? That's a fine yeah. thing for you to believe. And vice versa. And that and that makes it, I would say, that would lower the barrier between you and those who believe others. Well, it certainly will change the language you use to talk right. about them. And your own emotional response. Yes. You will be less angry, less hostile. Yeah. Uh, less arrogant. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yours are more, your list, uh, items on these lists are more practical, you would say, than mine? Or No, I think that that is, that, that concept right there is... Um, I think you're you're you know you're viewing it as um, transcendent, and what I'm saying is being aware of these transcendent realities will in fact change the way you practically behave. Totally in these critical moments. Gotcha, gotcha. And so what we have is a world of people behaving very badly. Yeah, and we believe these transcendent thoughts will help us all behave better. I understand. Okay, so uh, another one. I'm going to go to this one, which is not one of the original four, but you and I were talking about something earlier and you can chime in here if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. Um, But you mentioned that the rich young ruler went away sad. And my next thought was, and so would I, if I was confronted as he was. Mm -hmm. And, um, and specifically this is in the gospels. The young, young successful man comes to Jesus asking what he must do to be saved. What must I do to have eternal life? Mm-hmm. Obey the commandments. He says, I have. Which ones? He says, and it's interesting, when he asks which ones, Jesus doesn't mention any of the first three that talk about God. He only mentions the last seven that talk the behavioral about behavioral kind of ones, yeah. The horizontal ones. And he says, all of those I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him, the scripture says, mm-hmm. and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me, and you will have eternal life. He went away sad. Then Jesus followed with, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. Right. So uh, my thought right there, all that thought, is that um, I have, uh, I, like all human beings, we have a massive intuitive skill at self-deception. Mm-hmm. We, um, we therefore um, allow the gospel to confront us to the comfort level phase but rarely to the discomfort phase i see so i have an i have an incredible capacity 
to justify the way I spend money. And be comforted away from the guilt of spending money. Exactly. And so uh, this universal transcendent reality about human beings is, were we to be confronted by Jesus as clearly and directly as that, we also would walk away sad. Yeah. Because there is hypocrisy in all of us. There is a blindness to the things that we rationalize because it's so natural and organic to us. Yeah, and to me, this is another uh, humanization of people with immense resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hundreds of millionaires, billionaires. And, you know, we look at them, and, and again, this malevolence kind of thing, this is an extension of that, in my opinion. It really is. Because all human, all of human nature is, is uh, um, not perseverance, what am I thinking of? Uh, um defense you're trying to preserve that's why perseverance get in mind but you're trying to preserve your you what you have preservation preservation that's exactly what i'm looking for yes. thank you yeah it's preservation self-preservation yeah and it's written into our code you know yeah. it's, it's how we We're, behave we are going to by reflex preserve what we have protect what we have yeah and try not to lose and that you know in our modern world that's how that devolves into addictions and mm-hmm. and crazy things but that's it's from that code so uh uh, even just recently, I've I've noticed this as I have more uh, material responsibility. You know, now that I I own more value thing valuable things, I'm nervous about those things <laughs> because what I need to preserve has now grown. Mm-hmm. And so now imagine that written as large as possible. That's a huge sphere, and that human code of preservation descends down the whole the whole pile that that person owns the whole yeah. money mountain yep. is 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 the, in there and, and so, power a power position prestige uh-huh um honor we we have a preservation impulse for all of that yeah and so you know that jeff bezos is the, is the punching bag him and like elon musk and stuff right. so thinking of him as a again like a bond villain or like yeah. just some like crazy <laughs> and he the guy looks kind of crazy sometimes it doesn't help that he's got this like when he came back from from space he has this crazy look in his eyes yeah. like, you look like you're insane yeah but understanding that he who's the villain in austin powers uh oh <laughs> um oh my goodness with the, with the pinky in his mouth yeah I, I can't remember his that's, name that's that's the that's the image i have for Jeff right. Bezos. <laughs> that he's that he's over there trying to take over the whole world from his uh, command center somewhere. Right. And so what I'm not saying is that you should stop uh, being frustrated with Jeff Bezos for not, you know, solving world hunger with his money, which I would say is impossible. So, But I'm not saying you should, you know, um, uh, be more kind to the ultra billionaire. I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying that you should understand also that his human urge for self-preservation and the way you worry about your kids your house getting busted into any of your things. It's just that on an insane level for, for a billionaire. Well, and the lack of selflessness with which he manages $2 billion is the exact same lack of selflessness with which we manage $2,000. Right. So there is no difference. And that's the thing I'm talking about is were I to be confronted as directly as I confront Jeff exactly. Bezos, yeah. I would have to walk away very sad. Yeah, And so uh, this is inherent uh, in us as the human race. And that leads me to the next one, which is that so much of world issues and personal issues and relational issues come down to our 
obsession with control. Mm. I'm con- I, I, I have this theory that every human being is a control freak. And I used to think that control freaks were people who had to control every detail of everybody's life. That's a control freak. Right. But the reality is all of us are control freaks because we have to control those things that make us comfortable, that take away our anxiety. Sure. And so some people in a dysfunctional, bizarre uh, way want no control. And what they need in their world is to not have control over anything. That way, they're not responsible for anything. And they can blame somebody else for all of their problems. Yeah. But all of us, from that extreme to the hyper control freak, all of us are control freaks because we are... We are asserting the level of control that we need to be comfortable. And when that gets messed with, that doesn't go well. Yeah. And so uh, when you think of the impulse of people in power to preserve their power, when you think of people with wealth, their, their dramatic impulse to preserve their wealth, when you think of um, any scenario, this, if you start to have a, a lens to look for this, you will see the need for control. It'll be revealed in every, every, almost everything you look at. Yeah. And I wonder if the only difference is the size of that sphere that you say everything in this circle, I have to be the master of, and that could be either bigger or smaller. Yeah. The circle gets bigger or smaller, but it's the circle you choose that, that is your comfort and you do it without rational thought. Right. And so how does this change the conversation on uh, differences of opinion and, and lifestyle because when I begin to see someone's need for control for what that is and I understand my own need for control it helps me to navigate more wisely and compassionately mm. in the moment yeah because this person is not mad at me they're mad that they have no control yeah and it's almost I think when you see these groups you talked about um, people who are like-minded uh, I think like Again, the, the the loudest example of this is is a is the Trump group, mm-hmm. and they have a guy who they they say this is the champion of our value, values, right? And he's going to go in there and make our values right. manifest. And uh, when he's not in the house anymore, you lose essence of control because my values will now be assailed by a guy who will make manifest different values. Mm-hmm. And so your control is extended by your guy, yeah. you know, your quarterback being in the White House. Right. And so then that very emotional reaction to the loss of control is an extension of that. That's very interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And same with with the governor's mansion or, Uh or the Senate and chambers and all that for sure. So when I, uh, when I understand, I I was talking to a gal uh, a couple days ago who is in customer service in the food industry. And she used to love her job. Mm -hmm. And I was asking her, do you still have your job? She said, I hate my job. Oh, man. Why do you hate your job? Because customers are meaner than ever. Incredibly mean, very impatient, and the DoorDash guys are the worst. Interesting. If they walk in and their bag's not sitting on that shelf, they pitch a fit and they won't stop yapping till you get them the, the food they came wow. to pick up. And I Probably said, you know, money, I, I guess, this is guys, yeah. this because I'm on this control thing. People are on edge because we have lost so many things that we used to have control over. Mm-hmm. And this is why I, my biggest concern for us as a culture immediately is if they try to shut lockdown, lockdown 
uh, the country again for COVID. If they close restaurants or say you can't go to church or whatever, any any version of lockdown is going to make people lose their ever-loving minds. Because, again, it's just round two of that loss of control. Round two of a loss of control. And and I think that um, it's it's bringing out the worst in a lot of people. So yeah, I think an awareness that I am a control freak is a very helpful thing. And to notice when people are reacting to a loss of their control can help you be compassionate and productive in the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so we've knocked down three. Let's quick do your... We got, uh, we got three more. Let's do one more. Well, three and three is a nice split. Okay. If you don't mind. You, Sounds good. It's your show and tell today. So if you don't, if you want to hold off and do one more point, I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so let's do our show and tell. Then we'll do our commercial and finish our three points. Okay. I'm about to kick off a small group of 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I have sent out some invitations to this. Uh, I'm limiting it to 12. I'm not sure I'll end up with 12. I frankly think I'll end up with about eight or nine Um, because it is, uh, it is a um, high entry, high demand six month journey. We're going to meet once a week um, from six 30 to eight in the morning. I think Uh, we'll let the group decide for sure. That's a high bar already. That's That's a a high bar. We're going to read separating the wheat from the (laughs) chaff. That's right. We're going to read several books. We're going to read lots of scripture. We're going to journal and we're going to have some transparency with one another on a six month journey. And um, so I say all that to introduce my, my book in this first for today's show and tell, Mm. which is a book that I'm asking everyone who's considering to be a part of this group to read in a two week window before we have our uh, information gathering to decide if we're going forward. And it is a book called not a fan. Now, this thing got really popular. This uh, more, more than a million copies sold. I don't know when it was published, but it's... 2006, I believe. Okay, so 15 years. And I remember when this book got so popular. I This is a this is, this is is one of my quirks, John, mm-hmm. my personality quirk. If everybody loves something, I'm going to hate it. <laughs> I don't know why. If I don't know why I do that. But if everybody well, loves it, I hate it. If you're... If we're t- thinking about going to the movies you would always go i hear this one's good and you and you'd be referencing the opinion of your friends yes so i don't mean that i mean if if everybody loves something i am not familiar with yet you got you got a grudge bi- against i it. will be biased against it i was that way with game of thrones i refused i still haven't there you seen go that's because a, that's was, a perfect example yeah, of what i'm talking about yeah it's kind of petty of me but yeah I yeah get so not a fan took off like crazy there was a bunch of these i'm not a fan videos mm-hmm. um and um and I wasn't a fan of not a fan, <laughs> but we're reading it. And I must confess, I'm only a few chapters in, but I am digging this book. It is a discussion that Jesus did not come to turn us into fans. He came to turn us into followers. And it is a self-assessment journey of, are you a fan of Jesus? You're just a big fan. You, you know, you like him, you cheer him on. And the biblical examples, each it's gonna, it goes through several case studies of biblical examples of people who turned out to be fans, not followers. Mm, mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I, I'm loving it. Um, most, not most, I would say half the people I'm talking to about this book because I'm reading it have in fact read it. Oh, sure. Because it was so, it was so, it was so big. Yeah. But um, there it is. I'm recommending it even though I'm only um, early in. You've, you've got good, uh, it blew up. I mean, everybody liked it. They did. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's yeah, our commercial we'll break. We'll be right back. We'll be right back.
Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we just want to say thank you uh, once again for our listeners lately, uh, probably because I've been in a few more um, big gatherings, but people have come up and, and talked about how they listen. And it's always, uh, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's if it's like a selfish thing or prideful thing to say how much it, that personally means to, to me. But just to know that there's listeners out there, and yeah, we I mean, love hearing from you, meeting you. We do, and and in fact, we have a little thing we're going to do now. We're going to draw the winner of the Daryl Strawberry autographed baseball card because um, we sent out a uh, very short little newsletter. We have uh, people who have subscribed to our newsletter, and our patrons are all on the newsletter list. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, in that little newsletter, mentioned our two favorite episodes in the Jim and John. Uh, saga. What do you call that? Uh, franchise. <laughs> <laughs> franchise. Um, and so uh, we listed our best, our favorite episodes and why, and we asked people to send us their favorite episode and why for a chance to win this Daryl Strawberry card. I got this card uh, a couple weeks ago. Met Daryl Strawberry, got my picture taken with him, and he autographed this card for me. So, is this a showbiz name or is his God-given Christian name? Daryl Strawberry. That is his God-given Christian name. Son of blank Strawberry. Like there was a, a Papa Strawberry. Uh, Mary Strawberry or something. <laughs> his mama. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, are you ready, John? We will draw this name out and announce our winner. Let's do it. All right. So thank you to all who sent in your favorite episodes. I actually am going to go back and listen to a few of those because we had some suggestions about episodes they loved. And uh, it was it was cool to see which episodes people loved. And uh, so we're really grateful for you engaging in that. And by the way, if you want to play in these games in the future, uh, all you have to do is subscribe to the newsletter, which you can do from our Instagram bio page or from our website, jimandjohn.com. Yeah. And no, there's a no H in the John. No H in the John. There's a little button up there that'll just say newsletter. Click on that. And yeah. Follow. All right. Yeah, and the winner is. Lori, and I'm not going to give her last name because I probably shouldn't um, <laughs> give anybody's last name. Yeah. Uh, but Lori, you have won the uh, Daryl Strawberry autographed baseball card, and I will be getting that to you um, very soon. It'll go out in the mail, or I'll figure out a way to get it to you um, in the next week. So thanks for those who entered and submitted your favorite episodes. We are grateful. And there you have it. All right, John, back to today's conversation. All right. Uh, okay, so this is point four. Uh, they're not really, it's not that structured of a list, but nah. this is the fourth point. Um, and this is, uh, we, we've talked a bit about, I don't know how much we talked about it in the podcast. I know in our personal time, it's, we've talked a bit about living in the moment and how kind of 
a very that's a very cliche phrase. So immediately in my mind, just totally like glosses over that. Yeah, it's a bumper sticker or something. It's but 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 exactly. Give the big but here, John. The big but is that it's actually kind of actually kind of it's crazy. Amazing. It probably caught on because it was crazy, (laughs) and then everyone was like, "I've heard that a million times." Right. And so, uh, really, uh, I noticed it most with um, my niece, probably just because I don't see her very often. So, my little niece, Eleanor, she's, mm-hmm. oh, man, she's seven? Yeah. That's nuts. Uh, so, when I'm around her, and, you know, she wants to play Legos or do whatever. So, normally, you got stuff going on. You got work the next day, uh, emails, even stuff, Instagram. Um, you know, living in the moment would be... I'm going to give set one, all that aside. Give 100% of my cognition, cognitive, powerful adult brain to this seven-year-old's games. Yeah, and and actually be here completely. I'm going to be with her. Yeah, undistracted right now. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy. It's pretty amazing, and especially because I have I have so many uh, difficulties with being present. That <laughs> it was almost it was a very powerful thing, and. Uh, it, then you take that into into the realm of things like being present with Jesus, being present with spouses, friends that you don't get to see very often. And um, this is so, so amazing. I just want to say, listener, right now, just try it right now. Mm-hmm. Be fully present with us right now. If you're multitasking, listen to the sound of my voice. Be very present <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> so this is uh, similar to that, to kind of that spontaneity and that sense of of being really there. And this is the idea of. I don't like that saying that the idea of, I hear that a lot. Yeah. This is the practice of telling the truth. And so for me, oftentimes what gets in the way of telling the truth, and this is not, you know, getting someone's face and saying, well, what right. you're doing is wrong. Cause the truth is now that's judgment. That's judgment. This is, uh, not lying or dancing around things for, for the Avoiding, sake of avoiding. Yeah. Misrepresenting. Yeah. Uh, giving building an opportunity for them to reach a, an inaccurate conclusion, mm-hmm. but you didn't really lie. And uh, most of, for me, it is almost always out of a sense of laziness that this happens, or a sense of avoidance of discomfort. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy's saying something that uh, I don't agree with, and I'll just nod and go, "Yeah, man, I don't know." You know, that's not telling the truth. No, and, and you don't have to tell the truth in that scenario. But if he turns around and asks you, John, don't you agree? Right. Then the answer, then the answer is no. But it even when I when I think of the truth in this scenario and with the, the context of this conversation, I mean, with uh, the truth of the value of human beings. Yes. You know, someone's bad mouthing someone else to tell the truth would be to say, well, man, that guy's probably hurting right now. I think that person is an image bearer of God has immense value mm-hmm. and probably is a, a lot better person than you're uh, believing them to right. Be right now. Yeah. And, uh, or maybe even just, uh, I'm sorry you feel that way or something, you mm-hmm. know, th- this is, this could be telling the truth. So it's not, you know, a uh, person's telling you about their gender confused kid and you go, well, you know, right. I know the truth about that kid's by, you know, that this isn't exactly what we're talking about. This is, no, we're talking about truth in the sense that this is what I believe is true. And being willing to say it and let it take you wherever it takes you. Yeah. And out of, you know, over all of this, in the context of this whole conversation for me is uh, um, edification Mm -hmm. and uplifting people, um, uh, flourishing with what God's given you as far as your, your oikos and your abilities and your, you know, resources that it, that it blankets this whole thing. 
So when I say telling the truth, I trust that you understand to the um, betterment of and edification of the person you're talking to. It's your contribution to the flourishing of all. Yeah. Would that be a way to say that? And so what we don't mean is you saying the truth that Democrats are liberal liars. Okay. <laughs> yeah. if, if you think that's true, that's not the kind of truth we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about the kind of truth is that human beings matter. And I think most people want a better world mm-hmm. and think that they're contributing to a better world. And I think for me, like I said, most of the time, this is conflict avoidance. So, (laughs) so this would be, this would change because the reality of it is that if I, like I said, if I worm my way out for self-preservation, conflict avoidance or laziness, it's out of a lack of love for the person I'm talking to. And if I really actually loved them, then I would tell the truth to them in all conversations. So because it's actually self-sacrifice. It is. It is self-sacrifice and a gift if done graciously and with the best of intentions. Yeah. Telling someone the truth is a is a is a, a very kind thing to do if you do it kindly. So I have an example in my head. Do you have an example of That's, what we're talking about? I really I feel like I had some before this conversation, but they're not coming to me. So I want to I want to hear yours. So someone says, um, I think that the vaccine um, is that you have to be out of your mind to take that vaccine because it was uh, hastily developed. There's no liability for the producers. Um, it is untested. It is unknown. And I think that you have to be stupid to take the vaccine. Mm. Don't you agree, John? And the answer, the truth I'm talking about would be, I think that the pandemic is real. I think that people are dying. I think that there's a, there's a bunch of people trying to learn the best way to navigate this pandemic. I don't think anybody's out there trying to kill us with false drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, while, and while I really, the example I was thinking of was, don't you think the government cannot be trusted? Right. And then the truth would be the truth. I would think, be, I think the people in charge are trying to steward their own, the people they're responsible for. Yes. Their own constituencies. And that leadership is really hard. Mm-hmm. And a leadership in a pandemic is even harder. And while I would agree that when, um, groups in power, are not transparent, then it causes us more distrust. Yeah. So I totally understand not trusting um, large organizations that are not transparent. So I, I totally understand people having anxiety about blind trust. And I also know that the world's trying to make this pandemic go away. Yeah. There's the truth. That's a great example. I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you have uh, another one? Yeah, let's do let's do let's do one more. That'll only be five. We've been saying six the whole well, time. Well, because we kind of did two with that one. My my next one was um, that we're trying our way with what we know to help the world flourish. This would be this would be to uh, to take this motive and to ascribe it to everyone else. That what we're all trying to do is make the world better. Hmm. I need to, I need to, I need to actually evaluate. Am I trying to make the world better? These things I'm about to say, this venom on my social media, this spewed hatred. Yeah. Uh, these radical opinions, these, um, 
forcefully articulated opinions. <laughs> sure. Am I really believing I'm making the world a better place this way? Yeah. And to embrace that I have a mandate. It's a it's a human it's a mandate of humanity. We share this mandate. We equally are responsible for the flourishing of all. And we should contribute to that flourishing. And we should not be people who make that harder. Yeah. So um I think uh, this is kind of, I, I think this speaks over several of the ones we've already talked about, but I think for me to, before I open my mouth or before I react to keep in mind, I have a responsibility. This is not just I, an opinion. This is a human responsibility to behave in a way that is for the good of all. Mm-hmm. And, um, am I doing that? This is what love does. This is, this is, you know, God so loved the world. What did he do? He behaved in a way for the betterment of it. Mm. Uh, if you love someone, that means that you advocate for their good. So uh, it is, it is, it, it behooves us all to love humans, to love this world, not with an affection. I don't mean that. Right. Um, but to love this world, to seek the good of this world. Uh, right now with the stuff going on in Afghanistan, uh, people dying, people handing their children over barbed wire fences, hoping that an American will bring them to this country. Um, we need to think about uh, loving, hoping for the good of these people. When you, when you face evil, a person straps on a bomb and walks into a group and kills people. I'm not concerned about the good of that person. Mm. I'm concerned about the great good, the human good. And that person should be stopped. And that evil should be stopped by the powers that can do that. And so my uh, question with this one, because I agree, again, so much of what we're talking about is, is, is assumptions and motivations. The big part for me in this com- in this part of the conversation is the assumption of the motivation of others that they are working also for the greater good. When we get to extraordinary cases of evil mm-hmm. like groups like the Taliban or mm-hmm. uh, ISIS or, you know, yeah. the classic uh, Nazis. Um, how does that factor in there? Would you say uh, there? Uh, well, I would go to Ephesians six. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but mm-hmm. principalities and powers. There is evil. Uh, evil moves in human beings, but human beings are not evil. Yeah. And so um, our, our evil is a, evil eternal uh enemy mm-hmm. and uh human beings are not that but it is it is uh evil must be confronted and uh especially with i mean the ages of the uh foot soldiers of these groups it's amazing how young most of these men are yeah uh where really they are um you could basically call it brainwashed or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the, the, the oh, level are. of yeah. Uh, yeah, the level of um, uh, influence that has been put on them from very young ages. And when it, you think of them, yeah. their, their motives, they believe that there is an eternal reward awaiting them for this behavior. <laughs> and that they're called by God to do these they things. They believe they are making the world a better place with the with the destruction of, uh, what do they call us? Uh, infidels. Infidels. Yeah. Yeah. So even that's breaking it down again to away from the faceless flag, you know, the, the masses of this group mm-hmm. to the actual, the people involved. And, um, 
And again, even though we would never say a human being is, uh, maybe not never, but that human beings are evil inherently, uh, maybe some of the people at the top of this organization are pretty close to pitch black evil. You know, maybe they're, they're deep steeped into it. Yeah. But, uh, by and large, I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. And that's where, uh, people in power are about the preservation of power. They're mm-hmm. not putting on vests because their contribution <laughs> right. is to inspire the ones who do. Yeah. So they have a different contribution to make a more powerful, important one. And uh, therefore they would never do what they're asking others to do. The last thing, the last one, John, and, and this again, it feels like it's blending together now into this um, holistic kind of thing Yeah, is that there is no us and them. I've, I've had this, in my head for a long time. And it's, um, and so this is the one we're going to finish with. There's no us and them. There's just us and him, God, Mm -hmm. and all humans are part of the us. So, um, there are, there are some of us who believe the best way to, um, have a country flourish is smaller government, fewer restrictions, more human liberty and independence. Sure. There are some of us who believe the best way to have a flourishing country is greater governmental control, seeking the good of others by having more power vested in the government to make decisions for us. That's still us. Mm -hmm. That's us who see it this way, us who see it that way, but us. And so my, my thing is there is no us in them. And if somebody tells you there is walk away from them because <laughs> right. that's the them. Yeah. The only them is the ones who believe there's an us in them. But even that's not, you know, they're yeah. still us. They're still us. Um, so, but I don't, I don't waste my time engaging with sure. that part of us. Sure. Uh, because to, to, to that person, there's them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really, we're talking about your own compass here. Yeah. For for each of us to realize there's no them. There's only us. Yeah. And, again, like you said, this is kind of this is kind of a cap on the conversation. And what I've liked about it, because I, I did number one of the points uh, more or less accidentally, this is more of one whole um, conversation, one whole idea of the unification of people. Yes. Or the, the realization that... Um, that a lot of these walls are, are illusions to begin with. So it's not like you have to make us whole. We are already whole. You know, there's just, um, uh, I don't know, paper thin kind of things there between us. I, my, now what do you mean by make us whole? You don't have to make us whole. We're so like already a, whole. Like, what do you mean? like us and them is not an idea. You don't have to make it us and them. The truth of it is it's just us. Yes. So like if you could see it, if you could see into the uh, realities of the spirit yes and see the and see how things truly are and it's the illusion of of us and them of malevolence exactly. in the people that don't see it the way i do exactly that illusion is what creates us and them so that's what i meant all of that is an illusion there's just us there's just us and in the realities of the spirit there's yeah. just us as that's, far as our enemy. yeah that's great and yeah. and if we knew that we would work together to solve problems and to find the best answer, even though we're coming at it from different angles, because there's this is about us. Yeah, this is and about us. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing thing when you think about that. You know, when you're thinking of someone who who's on the complete opposite side, even say of like uh, gender confusion, mm-hmm. people who say that everybody ought to use 
you know, explain their pronouns so that we're kind to those who have gender confusion. And you might say, no, you, you're born with a gender. That's the way it is. Um, if we knew that, hey, this is us trying to reconcile that for some people, this is not a simple issue. Right. For some people, there's great confusion and pain in this conversation. So let's us talk about how do we navigate forward for human flourishing with that painful reality. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. It's a, yeah. And I want to, I want to say that it's, you know, it's easier to talk about than to do partly because I think, you know, if you ever think you're, you're in traffic and you're looking around, sometimes I think, how did, there's just so many people, this is one stretch of road <laughs> and there's so many people. Yeah. And the, the human brain cannot truly see each one of those as a, as a full flesh and blood and spirit. Isn't that person. crazy? Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost impossible without looking them in the eyes. Yeah. To really understand that they've got, a, they live someplace, they've got dreams, they got parents. Yeah, and sometimes when I look at someone and I realize that person's going to leave my sight and go, yeah, and they're going to live the rest Keep of their on day yeah. having a great obsession with whatever they're obsessed about and engaging whatever they're engaging, and I will know nothing of it. So we can even barely just grasp the humanity of people that we're very close to, like yeah. like intimately close to. Yeah, uh, even that is a full time job. Really, really. Um, uh, understanding the humanity of other people. So it's not that this is easy. It's just simple. It's just, it's, it's easy to talk about. It's easy to break down, Mm -hmm. but the, uh, you know, fully, I think, again, I've talked a lot lately about internal belief and, and mind belief, mind belief on this conversation is much easier than an internal Mm -hmm. breaking down of those walls that you see between you and people. But I think we're called to uh, do our best at it even though it's not fully, I would say it's not fully humanly possible. Right. But the more energy and attention and effort mm-hmm. we give to that, the smaller the world gets and the more we see everybody as a uh, co-journeyer with us rather than an enemy. Absolutely. Man, thanks for listening today. Do us one favor, if you don't mind, uh, rate us on iTunes or whatever pla- pa- platform you listen to your podcast on. Uh, that That helps us. And uh, maybe tell a friend. That would be awesome. And, uh, yeah, again, you can find us at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John, or Instagram at jimandjohn. And you can either uh, comment there, DM us there, or email us at info at jimandjohn if you want to get a hold of us. And we love hearing anything you have to say, mm-hmm. anything at all, questions, episode ideas, um, whatever it is. We love it all. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. 